1: to the RotoWire fantasy football podcast it's week 17 the Friday episode kind of a combination of everything we would normally do in the week uh, no waiver wire talk really because you made those moves by now and you don't really need us to tell you 3 days late uh, what you would have done anyway it would have been going after some of the running backs that might play a bit more uh, otherwise there's really not a lot of waiver pickups for week 17 anyway tim first and foremost how's it going today how have the holidays been treating you
2: Hey, man, I'm doing well. Um, you know, holiday was good. You know, too much eating, a little too much wine and beer. You know, that's the way kind of should be. And uh, actually uh, placed, uh, I got some cashing out in some fantasy football leagues, so I was actually very happy about that. That made the holidays just a little bit sweeter. How about yours?
1: Yeah, more of the same, really. But uh, yeah, I was waiting on the check from the NFFC, so that'll be a nice uh, second-place finish in the BBR nice. League this year. So nice little payout for that. Uh, otherwise, not a great fantasy season. Kind of just like a good one or a, a typical season where if you play in five leagues and you get a good cash in one of them, that's that's like an average sort of year. Uh, multiple caches, I think, would be above average, and multiple titles probably uh, well above average. So last year, in terms of success, was better, just slightly better, but it's been a pretty good year. Some some DFS wins along the way. Nothing nothing earth shattering. No major GPP takedowns or anything like that. So uh, I'm still. You know, doing things as I usually would. Like I, I don't have a, a yacht or anything like that that I own now. So, business as what, usual for me.
2: What about you know some uh, ATV or you know snowmobile stuff going on over there? Maybe
1: you got some of that. That's probably a year or two <laughs> off. But yeah, I mean, uh, a snowmobile might be a good way to enjoy the outdoors around here. They just they seem crazy fun and dangerous at the same time.
2: <laughs> it's the best mix I think for some people.
1: Yeah, I just think I, the thing I worry <laughs> about around here is just the amount of of boozing that happens prior to snowmobiling. So it's just people mm. flying around on ice uh after having too many beers. So it's it's not yeah. not quite for me in the uncontrolled environments that are Wisconsin, you know, like it's just mm. a, e- even Even if you don't go up north, I feel like there's just too much that can go wrong, unfortunately, for something that would be a lot of fun. A lot of ground to cover today. We'll talk about players we like on DraftKings. We'll look at some of the playoff scenarios and figure out who uh, will be resting key players. I mean, if you start looking at the AFC, the only team in the AFC playoff picture with nothing to play for at all. Actually, there there are two. There's two, yeah. Pittsburgh and Houston are, are locked in as the three and four seeds. Uh, No matter what happens in their respective games, Houston doesn't really have as many interesting players to rest. I mean, I wouldn't expect to see a hobbled Lamar Miller for more than a handful of carries if he even plays at all. But the Steelers have been up front about it. We're not going to see big Ben. We're not going to see Le'Veon Bell. We're not going to see Antonio Brown. And with their matchup against the Browns, it's opened up a lot of intrigue for the idea of streaming either Fitzgerald Toussaint or in more cases, d'angelo williams but d'angelo williams hasn't been healthy and i do feel like there is some risk even though it's a great setup i mean there's there's going to be a handful of lineups that are playing for championships this week where one of those backup pittsburgh running backs are used as one of the two running backs
2: yeah i mean obviously williams would take the majority role if you know if he's able to go but like you said i mean maybe they want Healthy Williams for the playoffs, too, and then maybe they won't push him past 15 touches. Uh, obviously, against the Browns, you could do a lot with 15 touches, so maybe that's enough for you to to, to go with him as maybe your number two running back in, in a DFS type of thing. I think he will be widely owned. Uh, definitely think the price in, in, in most of these, I think he's, on uh, DraftKings, I think he's about 5500 That's actually kind of, you know, I think factoring in a little bit of the fact that, you know, there's some uncertainty there, so it's not exactly a terrible ROI on him, but yeah, the Tucson pick might actually be the more uh, profitable one, especially in GPPs, if you're going for that, because that's definitely more of the against the grain one. Obviously, Williams is a better back, but you know, Tucson and I think and I think he did the same thing last year, if I'm not mistaken, in, in one of those last couple of uh, regular season or playoff games, he had a nice little uh, nice little breakthrough outing there. I think it was a playoff game actually last year. I used him in a challenge league and it worked out pretty well. So uh, yeah, I don't remember, but uh, you know, it's, it's it's a case where you know you definitely don't want to get all of your bas- eggs in the basket of D'Angelo Williams. You're right.
1: Yeah, you got to be careful. I think you want some exposure, but not excessive exposure as you look uh, at your daily lineups for this weekend. Uh, Without Big Ben, I mean, how much more interest do you have in Eli Rogers? Ladarius Green's banged up, so maybe we see more Jesse James. And the Browns have been horrible against tight ends, so James, from a season-long perspective, becomes streamable. And from a DFS perspective, he's priced down quite a bit since, uh, since Green has been back in the fold. I mean, Green was a limited participant in practice on Thursday, But even if he had no injury at all, he'd be kind of on the bubble as far as players the Steelers might want to rest anyway. And given his concussion history, it just seems like a a lock that he would be held out of this game or limited a lot if he does suit up at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously the Steelers, you know, can make a lot of pieces work in their offense regardless. But, you know, Green does bring a nice vertical dimension to, you know, that offense, you know, as a tight end would be. And, you know, Jesse James, you know, okay little player in some situations, but Green is obviously the game-breaking type of talent. You don't want to risk that in, like you said, a meaningless game. So, yeah, James becomes a little bit more intriguing there. Eli Rogers, you know, becoming more intriguing to begin with regardless as, you know, kind of that little throw-in flex play if you're just, you know, punting, you know, that spot of, you know, a roster or anything. But, you know, it's going to be hard to pick where the Steelers and Browns, you know, overload will come from because – you know, it depends on how they jump on them quickly in the game, and then they maybe just kind of ride Tucson the rest of the way. It's kind of an interesting thing. It's like you said, you don't want to say, oh, I'm going all in on Steelers this week just because of that. It's definitely much a case of, you know, risk management with a thing where we don't know the exact player distribution breakdown.
1: Yeah. The funny thing about that Steelers Browns game, by the way, the line opened at Pittsburgh minus 11. It's now at Pittsburgh minus 6. Steelers are at mm-hmm. home. And even without their three best offensive players, they're still favored by six against the Browns. The yeah. Browns are going to start RG3 at quarterback. They've got Terrell Pryor. They've got Corey Coleman. I mean, they have some weapons. I Coming off the win last week especially, maybe they're a little more confident, but at the same time, going into Pittsburgh and winning with that personnel could be challenging. I mean, the Pittsburgh's defense may mostly be intact for this one. They might play this one out on that side of the ball, at least, and that would uh, take away some of the intrigue we might have with Cleveland's skill position players. The other game I mentioned, the Houston-Tennessee game, from Houston's perspective, nothing to play for. Same for Tennessee with the Texans having locked up the AFC South title already. Tom Savage, I mean, the thing about it is Tom Savage throwing the ball is something Houston might want, because Tennessee's been pretty bad against the pass. They let Blake Bortles go over 300 yards again last week, which uh, twice in a season, hard to believe. If you get Savage comfortable, you probably have him throwing to DeAndre Hopkins a bit. Maybe you give Hopkins a half and then pull him. But Houston needs to get right at quarterback to have some momentum going into the playoffs.
2: Yeah, and at least Savage, what he does instead of of um, Brock Osweiler is he actually can extend plays a little bit more effectively. Obviously, moves a little bit well outside the pocket, can you know add that extra second or two to to get a better release, you know. And yeah, obviously Osweiler, <laughs> deer in headlights, and deer as as the saying goes, you know, deer trying to skate on ice when he's when he's moving with the ball. Obviously, Savage, the mobility there it really does help Houston. I think it helps him develop plays a lot longer. It's good for someone like Will Fuller who obviously relies a lot on downfield and after-the-catch type of stuff, and, you know, when plays break down, you can just chuck it up to Fuller in a lot of cases and have it work. And obviously last week Savage wasn't good, but like you said, the Tennessee secondaries kind of looked really off at times in actual, you know, press coverage and actually limiting the downfield ball. So, yeah, I kind of like Fuller actually more than Hopkins. I think Fuller would probably get – more of the game, and in, in that case, and I think that the difference of production hasn't been that much between those two. So yeah, I think Fuller's a guy I'd probably liked the best in that situation. And uh, yeah, even with, even with Houston resting some guys, I still think it's a great matchup for either of those guys. And I I don't think Lamar Miller to say to agree with what you said before. I don't think Lamar Miller's gonna play much at all. Maybe even Alfred Blue Blue might not play that much either.
1: Yeah, they might just go heavy with Grimes or you know uh, Akeem hunt, hunt or something. Yeah. yeah, they might just be kind of giving that aspect of the game away with the hope of, of Savage throwing the ball thirty five. Times and maybe getting more comfortable uh, in their offense. Now, as, as planning those players goes, I'm not excited about really anybody on the Houston offense. I know you could go with the punt plays at the running back position and probably do okay, uh, but my interest is more on the other side. I like Demarco Murray quite a bit at this week's price, 6,300 on DraftKings. Maybe we even see a lot of Derrick Henry. I might it might make sense for Tennessee to run the ball 35 or 40 times with those two backs. To just take the pressure off of Matt Castle, but also to evaluate Derrick Henry against an NFL defense. I mean, just to give him a heavier exposure makes a little bit of sense in this season finale.
2: Yeah, that Texans defensive line, obviously, is very easy to abuse. The Titans have one of the best run-blocking offensive lines in the league. And that's a pretty good Derrick Henry profit play, I think, in DFS. I'm with you on that one. I think both of them are solid. I think Murray's the PPR guy you have to go with, obviously, just because that's his, normal, uh, his normal, normal floor in a PPR is really high. But I do think Henry's the the GPP type of play. But I think, you know, as you said, he's probably going to be pretty popular because of that. Yeah, I I, I think there'll be a Definitely heavy doses of running with Tennessee just to kind of ease what Matt Castle has to do, which is always a good idea.
1: So on the NFC side, things are a bit more fluid. I mean, the Giants are locked in uh, as the best wild card, regardless of what happens this week. Ben McAdoo earlier in the week was suggesting that he's not going to rest players. I don't believe him. I I just think he's he's kidding. I think he's going to back off his starters maybe in the second half if he does have those guys start. And I think it puts you in a bad spot if you are an Odell Beckham owner and you're playing a championship in Week 17. You probably have to play him because even half from Odell Beckham could be better than most of the alternatives you're going to have at your disposal. Uh, The running game is kind of a mess anyway, so you can fade there. And, And with Eli Manning, I don't think anybody playing for a title wants to rely on him anyway, so you've got a reason to stay away. But Beckham is a problem point for owners playing a championship this week.
2: Well, as you know, we talked about on this show before, week seventeen fantasy championship games are kind of an abomination. Uh I know you're involved in one that actually counts the points for this week as well. I think you have to play Becker as a wide receiver three. obviously he's probably not gonna be structured that way on your team, but you kinda have to lower your, your ceiling for him a little bit. But like you said, he the guy the guy does more with the you know. The ball after a catch probably more than any other receiver in the league and it, it all it takes is one or two he could break up one open obviously josh norman this week a tough matchup but he's gotten to him before on on long plays. so yeah i i think i still have to play back if i were facing you know a, ch- a title matchup today but yeah no other giant really excites me maybe paul perkins but you can even argue perkins has been taking over the starters role uh from rashad jennings recently so maybe it's actually gonna be more jennings that case it's definitely I agree with you on the fact that it's kind of going to be a little bit iffy for for that side of the ball. But I think I have to play Beckham either way if I'm, a, I'm an owner and he's gotten me this far.
1: Yeah. I've got to roll him out there in the stake league, which is all just points-based for you know the whole season anyway. Uh, but the alternatives on that roster are, are weak. I mean, it's Randall Cobb, Chris Hogan, Jeremy Macklin, Mike Wallace. The good news is the Chiefs still have something to play for. The Chiefs yep. have a lot to play for. Uh, they can still win the AFC West, and get a first-round bye, So there's a lot at stake for the Chiefs and the Raiders. So I think Macklin against San Diego is a nice play this week, and he's been a disaster throughout the year. DFS consideration as well. Uh, Chris Hogan's on that lineup. I mean, I might end up playing Beckham, Macklin, and Hogan with Mike Wallace sitting on the bench and Cobb sitting on the bench. Because even if Cobb goes... They've used Devontae Adams as their one bead, essentially, to Jordy Nelson. Jared Cook's been a bigger part of the game plan now that he's healthy again. There are plenty of reasons to stay away from Randall Cobb, but not enough reasons to play a guy like Cobb or even a Mike Wallace over Odell Beckham, given the circumstances.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really between Wallace and Hogan for me in that situation. Uh, you know, Hogan, obviously, uncertain workloads here and there because the Patriots you know, have had Michael Floyd even coming in. To really uh you know throw even a bigger wrench into that, Wallace facing you know PacMan Jones who's actually been pretty good this year, uh so you know th- that that's a that's not a great matchup for him, so yeah if you've had the gut feeling with Hogan against Miami I mean that, that secondary is obviously pretty beatable, so I, I can see that I think Wallace is a little bit higher floor, but it's not a really good ceiling in that matchup, yeah
1: and the Patriots can still uh, secure the number one seed by winning on their own they don't need to. Waited out for the Oakland loss later in the day. I mean, they can just win and clinch it, and I think with Belichick, they'd much rather avoid leaving things to chance.
2: Oh, I agree fully.
1: Oh. So let's take a look at a couple other uh, playoff-related scenarios. The Falcons, who are part of the late afternoon slate, they're still trying to play for a first-round bye uh Seattle is in the mix too so Seattle gets San Francisco Atlanta is home against New Orleans those games are are ripe for the picking in season long and in DFS because you've got quality offenses that need to secure a win for their own benefit uh and they're not really going to know what's happening until late in one of those games I mean if Atlanta goes up big maybe in the third fourth quarter Seattle backs off a guy like Thomas Rawls and runs Alex Collins more but I don't think you have to worry too much about guys missing significant portions of either of those games
2: no I I don't think so either um you know like it's like the Falcons are kind of you know that they're playing like I said they're playing at the same time so it would only be like a mid-game switch so you you they start the game assuming that they'll play the whole game and hopefully get some first half points from guys like Doug Baldwin, Jimmy Graham uh, Russell Wilson for the, for the Seahawks. I think that's enough time against the Niners to really count on one of those guys to at least, you know, break through for, for a big play there. And, you know, it, it, obviously the the San Francisco run defense as bad as it is. You could get, get away with playing a flex level rolls and have that work out pretty well. And Alex Collins, obviously a nice little interesting desperation play. That might be a late swap DFS type of situation there. If, if, if your other, you know, situations don't work out. So Yeah. uh, three offenses, really, with the Saints and the Falcons and the Seahawks that you still can really roll with in in DFS and season long.
1: Lions-Packers, the Sunday night game, Uh, the way this works out, if Washington loses earlier in the day to a Giants team resting everybody, so I'm I'm expecting the Redskins to win, uh, that would actually clinch a spot for the Packers, but then the Lions and Packers would still be playing for the division title, which is a home playoff game, and both teams will play it out, so... Mm. That's another game you look at it matchup wise. You have no concerns about uh, the game flow dictating plans. If it gets lopsided one way or the other, sure, some key guys can come out. But that would happen in any blowout scenario, not just a Week 17 <laughs> blowout scenario. So I feel pretty good about loading up with a lot of these NFC teams. Uh, Washington going up against the Giants team that has nothing to play for is kind of interesting. I you know Kirk Cousins on the road. Can be risky, but I have to wonder if that Giants pass rush kind of backs off a bit this week. And and I I don't know if I think the tricky thing is with the game day rosters in the NFL. You got fifty three man rosters, eight inactives on Sundays. Forty five players still have to play. You can only sit so many guys. You have to have adequate personnel groupings out there. But if you're you know a a Giants defense guy, if if you're playing them, thinking about playing them in a championship, maybe you do have to pivot away because Olivier Vernon doesn't play as many snaps. Some of those key players might not be used in quite the same way.
2: Yeah, uh, you're right there. I I actually thought that Washington winning w- would actually allow Green Bay and Detroit to finish in a tie and have both make the playoffs. I thought Washington had to lose if, if to, to clinch it for Green Bay or Detroit in that situation, actually.
1: Yeah, Washington has to yeah. lose. But if, if Washington wins, then it's still a matter of Green Bay and Detroit playing for the division. And the Packers aren't in if they lose to Detroit. Right. If Washington yeah. wins, so gotcha. Uh, yeah. And there's some tie scenarios that are really stupid that don't they don't matter. Like it's right. it's just not gonna it's not gonna happen. Uh, the Bucks could still get in, but they need a ton of help, so they're really effectively out. But they're still gonna play their starters. I mean, they're gonna play Jameis and Mike Evans and Jaquizz Rogers should get a lot of run too. Uh, so they're kind of an interesting team for for this week. So a, a lot of strange considerations, but mostly just Houston and Pittsburgh completely shutting things down as uh, this week approaches. Oh, one other team I forgot to mention on the AFC side, Miami still has a lot to play for on the other side of that New England matchup, because if they win and Kansas City loses, Miami improves to the 5-seed. The 5-seed goes on the road to Houston for wildcard weekend instead of on the road to Pittsburgh, so a pretty big difference in terms of the opponent quality if you're the 5-seed versus the 6-seed in the AFC.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, Miami will be going full throttle on that one for sure. Uh, You know, we do kind of want to bank on a, you know, Jai against the Pats. I mean, obviously, that might be the one guy that, as as we say every week, that Bill Belichick does try to shut down. Um, but you know, the Patriots run defense hasn't been, you know, the greatest to guys who get 20 carries or touches or so like Ajayi does. So, you know, the, the passing game is probably gonna be a little more difficult because that Patriots secondary is probably going to shut down Matt more than the three wide receivers because you know, there's the, some of the better matchup corners in the league of uh, Malcolm Butler and Logan Ryan. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, the case where you do want to play Ajayi and be kind of wary about the other passing options
1: there got a slew of injuries uh julio jones still dealing with the toe expected to play uh just below 40 snaps last week we mentioned lamar miller's got the ankle injury he's not expected to play uh no aj green this week so you can cross him off if you're thinking about using him for for dfs or for season long adrian peterson tim wasn't practicing earlier in the week i mean to me there's just no reason for him to play with the vikings being out of playoff contention so I would assume he's going to sit, even though as of right now, at least, he's listed as questionable.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the only reason for him to play is to improve his own stock <laughs> for the future. And I'm not sure the Vikings really care that much about that. And, you know, they, they don't want to make it so, almost want to make it so Peterson actually has more credit to himself to to build up his own, you know, resume. If, if he does happen to you know leave the team next year. So, you know, it's probably going to be Jack McKinnon, Matt Asiata show again.
1: Brandon Marshall is questionable with a hip injury. We'll try to figure out more about him as Sunday approaches. As always, rotowire.com slash pod, P-O-D. You can check out the site for free Uh, for the next 10 days. If you're not already a subscriber, keep tabs on the news. We'll have every uh, inactive status as it becomes available about 90 minutes before kickoff. Uh, Elshon Jeffrey, questionable as of now with an illness. He should be okay. Kind of a tough matchup against Minnesota, depending on which version of that Minnesota defense shows up. I mean, this is a, a team that... Apparently, went against the will of Mike Zimmer with the game plan last week, instead, listening to Terrence Newman, the 39 year old veteran, uh, and not wanting to shadow Jordy Nelson with Xavier Rhodes, which just is really. I mean, how, why? Like, why would you not do that? That's easily the best strategy. Of all coaches
2: to go against, you don't want to go against Mike Zimmer to begin with. if For his attitude, which is, you know, a stern guy that, you know, doesn't take much nonsense, and the fact that he's, he's always been one of the better defensive minds in football. So I don't get. You know, Newman had a little bit more of a bravado in that case. I I, I question why they even did
1: that. Yeah, very very dumb. <laughs> uh, Sammy Watkins questionable with a foot injury. He's not going to have Tyrod Taylor out there because Taylor may have a core muscle surgery on tap. So it's going to be EJ Manuel under center for the Bills. I think that takes a, a little bit of the appeal away from a guy like Watkins. Assuming Watkins is out there, Amari uh, Cooper's got a shoulder injury. He's questionable. I assume he'll play given that the Raiders still have something to play for. Status is the same for Jordan Reed. I don't think there's any reason to be optimistic about him. That's a bad shoulder injury he's been trying to play through. Um, The Redskins do have something to play for, so to have him out there as a decoy still makes some sense, but I'm not really going to throw him out there on DraftKings or in season-long situations. Uh, Cam Newton has a shoulder injury. That doesn't seem to be enough to keep him out of action for that matchup against Tampa Bay, so I think you can go ahead and plug Newton in as you normally would. Uh, Greg Olson is indestructible, so he's fine. He's got an elbow injury, but he'll play anyway. Uh, Carlos Hyde, of course, out with that MCL injury. So Sean Drawn might actually be a viable play yet again this week, uh, more so on DraftKings and in other full-point PPR scenarios than anywhere else.
2: I think I want Dewan Harris on PPR, to be honest with you. I think Drawn might actually get more of the between the tackle stuff. Harris seems to be you know, a little bit more you know, a, bit, a bit of a playmaker after the ball. Drawn just kind of does rely on volume. But yeah, they're both interesting plays. I think you know a good flex spot if you really have to be desperate for some reason in a Week 17 season-long championship game. I could see working with either one of them. Uh, Harris, I think is a little bit more expensive on DraftKings, which actually is kind of interesting to me. They, they might have predicted that game flow already, so maybe Drawn might be the better play for value on that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, against Seattle, with Seattle having something to play for, I'd probably just avoid both, if possible, (laughs) because the payoff may be very limited. Uh, Matt Forte is dinged up, Bilal Powell's got an illness, but they didn't really add more running backs to the roster, from what I could tell, so I would assume that Powell's going to be fine, barring some kind of change uh, between now and Sunday. Uh, Let's see, Andrew Luck's got that shoulder injury, but no indication yet from the Colts that he's going to be held out. I think Bartellus Bennett's still going to go on that ankle. Uh, Spencer Ware's got a rib injury, but everyone's going to be in for the Chiefs because why wouldn't they be? Uh, The two players I'm a little concerned about if you have to rely on them are Stephon Diggs and Chris Ivory. Diggs with the hip injury scored last week, but... Adam Thielen took over as a target monster, and you look at the body of work over the last four weeks or so. Stephon Diggs just has not been as involved in that Minnesota offense as he was at the beginning of the season.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously Thielen does have a little bit more giddy up, and as you said, a little more potency. If, if one of the matches up against Tracy Porter, though, I think that's the really uh, that's the one you want to focus on. And that's usually going to be Diggs' spot, I believe, because the right cornerback matching up with with Diggs would be the with Porter in that case. So, yeah, um, but you know, Bradford has. Like you said, been a bit more of a fan of the elite because he probably does have a little bit more of an acceleration to him. Diggs might be a against the grain GPP play if he does play. When you're just kind of you know hoping for you know a, a big you know breakaway game there. But yeah, I think you're right. Wide receiver three in a season long. It's you know uh, especially with Minnesota not having much to play for and not risking one of their actual actually decent offensive weapons.
1: Michael Crabtree also banged up. I didn't mention him before with Cooper, but he's questionable with an ankle injury. He should be out there. Chris Ivory's another player I'm not sure about. He's got a hamstring injury. Jags are a mess at running back, and they're a mess in general. Uh, Nice spot against Indy, but keep an eye on Ivory as kickoff approaches just to get the final word on his status. Uh, Melvin Gordon wants to play this week, Tim, but if you're the Chargers, (laughs) why would you let him?
2: No sense. I wouldn't.
1: Yeah, I don't. Think he'll be out there, but he's lobbying to play. We'll see if Mike McCoy uh, gives him an opportunity to do that. Uh, Theo Riddick was not on the field at Friday's practice again, so it looks like he'll be missing his fourth straight game uh, against the Packers on Sunday night. I mean, Zach Zinner took over that backfield. And as we talked about, some of the the cheap backs that are going to get uh, more work. I mean, I guess we didn't talk about the Cowboys much. And I expect them to rest Dak, Des, and Zeke. I mean, Darren McFadden and Zach Zinner are two guys that might be. DFS and week 17 championship heroes based on how they're used this week.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously the match is a bit, little bit tougher for Zenner, even though the Cowboys are statistically better run defense, or at least have been equal to Green Bay for the most part. I think the Packers are going to do wonders in stopping the interior, which is how Zenner crushed the Cowboys last week. Uh, but yeah, I, I think McFadden's the guy he definitely got a target for sure because, you know, obviously he's had a 1,000 yards behind that line before and obviously not much of a chance to do it this year. But, you know, the history is definitely there for that. And obviously the um the, the Eagles' uh, run defense, not the most consistent uh, unit there, and obviously the weather might actually help them a little bit too because it might just be run, run, run in the second half with all those uh, other starters out.
1: Jeremy Hill's got a knee injury. He's actually pretty iffy to play against the Ravens. Keep an eye on his status if you're planning on using him this week. Doesn't look great for Hill at this point. Uh, Jay Ajayi's got a shoulder injury. He's likely going to play through it, of course. With the Dolphins trying to improve their seed uh, this week. Keep an eye on Dante Moncrief, too. He's got a shoulder injury. Even if luck's out there, Moncrief might not be. He was not practicing Thursday. Luck, by comparison, was limited. So that is also a concern. So Week 17, everybody's hurt. I mean, it's it's what you expect at this point in the year. Uh, let's start talking about some players we like on DraftKings for this week. We'll start at the quarterback position. Uh, For me, the key is just to avoid some of the games where there's not necessarily a full complement of healthy players around that quarterback. And Aaron Rodgers, Packers obviously have a lot to play for. Uh, Drew Brees, it it seems like the the Saints are going to try to play spoiler. There's no reason to believe that Brees would sit this game out or that any of Cooks or Michael Thomas or those guys would be rested. I know they're on the road, but if you're looking for the most shootout-prone game of the week, I think Saints Falcons has to be at the top of the list.
2: Oh, absolutely! Even you know, back in what was it Week Three when they just unloaded on each other. That's yeah, the Saints are going to play this regardless to try to get you know uh, Breeze another prop, another obviously another five thousand yard season. So that that's the only reason the Saints seem to be playing for anything lately in recent years. Not a playoff berth, just to get Drew's, Drew Brees' numbers padded. So yeah, obviously Breeze and and Matt Ryan even's a good one too, just because you know they kind of. Still worked with them, uh, even though I think the running backs will probably be a little bit better play. Matt Ryan, oh yeah, the price is actually really high for him, so I'm not the biggest fan of him as as compared to Breeze when it comes to ROI there.
1: I feel like this is a week where you want to spend up, though, at quarterback, because with Rodgers, Breeze, Ryan, even Brady, I mean, the Patriots are going to play that one out. Brady, 7,200. Uh, Russell mm-hmm. Wilson at 6,800. All of those guys have something to play for. All those teams will try to put a game on ice and out of reach, and to do it, they're going to hit the gas pedal, so I, I think... It makes more sense to pay up at this position, try to get some of those cheap running backs or cheaper receivers into the mix. Uh, but as, as you look further down the price list, Matthew Stafford at 6000 mm-hmm. always he's got the dislocated finger. Green Bay's secondary has been uh, leaking yards and points. Even though they've been hawking more turnovers recently, I still look at this as a pretty good spot for Stafford. It's risky given his recent form. But, I mean, look at what Sam Bradford was doing against... Them in a in a garbage time situation last week.
2: Yeah, I like Stafford better than Ryan. I would say relatively for sure. Obviously, the discount being a, a big factor in that, and obviously, you know the fact that Detroit's running game is is an abomination, despite what Zach Sender did last week. I think that was going to be a little, a little bit of an anomaly. But yeah, I agree with you for the most part. I think that you you want to you want to pay in general for guys that have something to play for this week. A quarterback, I think, has the biggest disparity of uh, where you can find most of that. Maybe Kirk Cousins at 6,500 also. uh, Not a bad option there against, you know, the Giants who might – I think if they're going to still be without Janoris Jenkins that that's obviously a huge hole in that uh passing defense as well. So Cousins and Stafford are guys you can spend a little bit less on. Maybe Jameis Winston 6100, but I think there's a little bit less to be attractive about with that one just because, you know, the 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 Buccaneers receiving core has taken a little bit of a hit with its depth and Mike Evans can't do everything sadly, but yeah, it's quarterback is more so you want to stay near the top more than anything.
1: Luck I guess is in play too, but Jacksonville's defense isn't completely Awful, especially against the pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might have been, you mentioned Cousins earlier as a, a road play. He's actually at home against the Giants, so yep. uh, keep that in mind. I do like him a lot more at home than on the road, and especially without Janoris Jenkins, that really opens things up uh, against the secondary that, again, has nothing at all to play for. So you've got probably a half-dozen quality options. If you go cheaper, uh, stay away from Trevor Simeon. I ordinarily would have liked him, but Paxton Lynch is going to play some in this game. We don't know how much, so you can't really use Simeon. I think you have to kind of fade The Broncos pass catchers, too, unfortunately, which is something I didn't really want to do in that matchup uh, against Oakland this week. So if you go cheaper at quarterback, I think there's a lot of potential downside. You know, Flacco against the Bengals could be okay, but I'd rather use him at home than on the road, even though Cincinnati has nothing to play for. And I think my investment in the, the Baltimore offense is more likely to go into a player like Steve Smith, who's probably playing in his last NFL game on Sunday, as opposed to Flacco.
2: Oh, absolutely! And Steve Smith, as we've seen, is a guy who's motivated, does step things up a little bit more, and he likes to prove haters wrong. He, I can imagine him catching a two-touchdown game just for spite, And, you know, the people doubting that, or, or you know, or at least maybe in a celebratory tone if he actually does a little bit more positive there. But yeah, Flacco on the road, uh, you know, tempting but not really
1: my cup of tea with that. Do you go Landry Jones at five thousand for a GPP lineup, <laughs> or do you do you have too much respect for yourself to do it? Do you go Tony Romo instead? <laughs> well, that, one, that one's even more complicated because they might give Sanchez some snaps. And, yeah. Uh, I, I think if I, had to, if I had to go after one $5,000 quarterback, it's Robert Griffin. I mean, you, you get the rushing TD, mm-hmm. maybe with, Steelers, with the Steelers backing off, a couple long TD passes. I know Griffin's bad, but at 5000 he's the best option, in my opinion, <sighs> of the minimum price quarterbacks for this week.
2: You're probably right, but Matt Barkley's still staring at me and saying, "Hey, I, I could be good sometimes." But you know, five picks obviously did undid most of the good he had last week. So tempting, but it, it's not one I would play unless it was, you know, one of those fun throwaway lineups we like to talk about.
1: Yeah, throwaway lineups that I don't really ever make. <laughs> uh, Colin Kaepernick coming off a good game last week against the Rams. I mean, is is he in the mix for you? It's a home game against Seattle, so it's a tough. Tough Seattle defense and a very motivated Seahawks team, given the circumstances. I mean, they rallied back and almost won against Arizona last week, lost on a field goal uh, as time expired. Pretty big deal, given the circumstances. So I, I kind of think Kaepernick is a, is a simple fade at 5,100.
2: Yeah, I'm not going for that one. I'll pass
1: take a look at some of these running backs um Le'Veon Bell if he were playing would cost 10,400 which is just bananas. Uh David Johnson at 9800 is he a play or is he a fade for you going up against the Rams?
2: Uh I I mean David Johnson's a play I think every week it just if you want to use him. So uh I mean with, with the you're spending up a quarterback you might be spending up a wide receiver. If you can make a lineup with him I could I could definitely say play. Uh just a consistent amount of touches every year. Sorry, every week. Um, and the Rams' run defense is nothing really to write home about. That's si- that 16th opponent rank. I don't think tells the whole story. So yeah, I-, I think I think I would play Johnson this week, especially in cash games.
1: LaShawn McCoy on the injury report earlier in the week with an illness. He's been removed since then. That was back on Wednesday. He is 8900 with a road matchup against the Jets. I mean, you think about EJ Manuel leading that offense could be a very ground-heavy attack. Could be a lot of dump offs to McCoy. I don't mind playing McCoy or Johnson. They're just so expensive that I think you want to look a little cheaper. The first back that I really like based on expected output it's going to be a very chalky play because of mm. the narrow range of options. Devontae Freeman at 7,000. I mean, it's a home game against the Saints, the high over under we talked about before. I don't want to pass on him at 7,000. I don't know if Tevin Coleman could get in there and make it one of those games where Freeman owners are, are just miffed at the end, but. I think Freeman in full point PPR leagues, especially, has a nice floor. And that game we saw was that against San Francisco a few weeks back, where he barely touched the ball, and it was a big Coleman week. Those games are so rare. I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that. I was against the Rams, where he had six carries for six yards. Came back to yeah. San Francisco and crushed mm-hmm. it. I think sixteen, seventeen fantasy points is the floor, and he can get you twenty five plus as we've seen in three of his last four games.
2: No, Two I mean Atlanta, Yeah, I mean Atlanta does fit in both backs comfortably. It's just kind of more of a a goal line, you know, which one actually has been doing the work and then which one comes into sub type of situations. They're both very, very good at what they do, and obviously Freeman is always the higher touch floor, especially in games where it's going to be close. They want to keep Freeman in there most of the time if it's a game that is is competitive and is not the blowouts like we've seen Coleman get involved in more so. Or, they score, you know, even if they score early, it's mostly Freeman. So, yeah, Freeman at 7,000, that's still a pretty good return compared to what else is going on there.
1: What do you make of Jordan Howard 6,800 against the Minnesota team that he gashed for 153 yards and a TD in their first meeting? Had over 200 yards from scrimmage in that game. 33.2 points on DraftKings in their first matchup. He was 4,400. When that happened, his price has spiked up since then. Uh, he, he jumped up to 6000 the week after that and, of course, hasn't gone below $5,300 since. But 6800 is the price this week against the Minnesota defense that seems to have a lot of uh, internal struggle, we'll call it, at this point in the season.
2: Yeah, I think a Freeman Howard tandem, if you can make that affordability, it's really good. I I think the Vikings get their defense is a better rep, obviously, against the pass than anything else. But I think the running game has a little bit more, a few more issues there, especially up the middle. So I think that's you know, and Howard's obviously a guy that's going to touch the ball 20 times a game for this offense, regardless. This offense has been on the field a lot, and they have a lot of comeback attempts. I think Howard really just you know doesn't leave the field much. So that's obviously a good bet every week and. Howard with a bunch of receptions in a PPR league, which he tends to do. Yeah, I I think that's a solid price for him. It's a good markdown. I think the Vikings' uh, reputation doesn't befit the situation and actually does Howard's value a favor.
1: Yeah, Howard's certainly in the mix. I think where more of the ownership interest will go, a guy like DeMarco Murray at 6,300, then Rawls at 5,800, that's going to be a pretty chalky play, I would imagine. I mean, you look at Rawls against the league's worst run defense. The concern I would have is that Seattle just gets so far out in front they can run Alex Collins a lot, and then Rawls gets some rest heading into next week.
2: Yeah, and Collins hasn't looked so bad in, in limited situations. He just hasn't gotten many situations because it's mainly a pass-first team. But if, if, if the situations come to stand where they're not going to put the throttle, either by a blowout winner, like you said before, um, by Atlanta really running out on New Orleans, that's a Collins situation he's made to work there. Uh, you know, he's, he's his, his yards per carry average of 2.9, hasn't looked that good, but... You know, in this matchup, this one week, th- there's a lot of upside for that. Even if if you put him in as a flex play,
1: Spencer Ware really let me down last mm-hmm. week. Uh, I needed a big game from him in the NFFC to do something in the overall prize pool, and it didn't happen. Uh, so you know, you look at Ware; it seems like a pretty good spot. He was limited in practice on Wednesday; should be fine. Heading into the weekend. The matchup is against the Chargers. San Diego is a bottom 10 defense in terms of what they allow to opposing backs. So it's it's really a good spot. As I mentioned earlier, Kansas City, one of the teams that's highly motivated with something at stake here in Week 17. And I feel like relative to the other backs we've talked about, where at fifty five hundred might be a tick under owned compared to a typical week? The only issue I have is that I felt like I was seeing a lot of Sharkhandrick West last week,
2: yeah, a lot of sharkhandrick west never never good news for an offense at all he 's mostly just a gimmick guy, and yeah, that, yeah just just got to watch the injury. the price obviously is, is valued in as you know the I think the the use last week and the injury sometimes it's you know his it's price is one of those last week's garbage guys that we like to buy on all the time so you know where's an i think it's another solid option i think where might actually have a better return than d'angelo williams this week at, at the same price 5500 so uh yeah where's you're right he's probably gonna be the guy that's gonna be ignored mostly and those are the guys you should, should pounce on when when that comes to play
1: so a couple player fades jay Ajay at 5900 has got a shoulder injury should be fine should be out there against the patriots do you play him or fade him at 5900
2: well, I, I know I said he might be good against New England before, but looking at the drafting prices a bit closer. I think I'd rather uh, fade him despite the fact that he'll – well, he'll probably be popular, so that's a reason to fade him in GPP for sure. So, yeah, I'll, I'll fade him at that price.
1: you got LeGarrette Blunt at 5,700 on the other side of that matchup. Is he a player or do you fade him? Uh,
2: I think he's a play. I, I know it's full-point PPR and you know the, the case we made that you know obviously he's a Deion Lewis – Mike has gotten his, obviously, his workload ramped up in recent weeks because, you know, he's been the freshest back of all three of them. But obviously Blunt's just kind of chimed in with the end zone each week. And I think Miami's, you know, the defense is good for for pass rush, but I don't think it's that great for run defense. I think Blunt's going to have a a, a decent, sizable game there. I'd play him.
1: How about Ty Montgomery, also at 5,700 with that road matchup against the Lions, player fade?
2: Uh, I hate to keep saying play, but I think play because you know the, the the Lions' defense against backfields has been a lot weaker in recent weeks, and obviously this game is one where they could just be overcompensating against uh, the receivers that, that Montgomery kind of has a nice little dump off game there. Is, is Darius Slay going to play? I haven't seen that yet.
1: I have not seen any word yet on Darius Slay, so we'll try that's to track big, that down. That's too. a key,
2: I think, to how we see this game going.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, that that changes a lot about Jordy Nelson, uh, in particular. Um, Someone told Darius Slay not to talk to the media today. <laughs> That's a good sign, apparently. Uh, but then he, he backtracked a few minutes later and said he was just in a rush. First, he was asked about it. Uh, he said, who, "Who told you not to talk today?" And Darius Slay said, "By Mufasa." Like, okay.
2: <laughs> is that like sure. a by, is that like a by Felicia ripoff? Or? No,
1: no, it was like he was told by Mufasa. Oh, not to okay. Talk today, I think is is what that was what that was kind of quoted as, and then the the later on he was asked about it again, he just said he was just in a rush, which might have been someone saying, hey, if you make it seem as though someone told you not to talk, then that tips our hand that you might not be playing. So he's definitely up in the air, and he's a key player, of course, for that matchup uh, against the Packers, as you pointed out. Anybody else, as you look at the cheaper running backs, I mean, in that game, Zach Zenner, I think, will get volume. But Green Bay has been so good against the run that I think he does present some risk. You almost have to get a short TD from Zach Zenner to come away happy with the output, even at a low price this week.
2: Yeah, and like I said, I I think there's more so going to be a case where last week's not going to carry over just because the matchup is as good up the middle for him. Uh, I kind of like Mark Ingram at 5,600. Obviously, he kind of paid things back last week after you know, during that sideline tantrum, they fed him after, you know, he got upset. That's a, not a bad price for the risk that would normally be involved in that backfield. I think Frank Gore at 4,700 is kind of interesting as well against the, the Jaguars, whose run defense I think is a little bit worse than the stats point out to be. And obviously, like I said, if Dante Moncrief doesn't play, I think there's going to be more Gore involved in that backfield. Obviously, Jacquez Rogers, we mentioned before, uh, with the whole Doug Martin, uh, you know, suspension situation, obviously a good one for, at 4,900. And Derek Henry, also 4,900, as we talked about before. So, yeah, I think it could pick off some good flex place From the running back spot this week, or maybe even running back two, if you really want to load up elsewhere.
1: Yeah, you really can save some money uh, looking at these prices for this week. It'd be Darren Sproles; sees a lot of touches mm-hmm. against the Dallas team that's resting a lot of key players too. He's only four thousand. I always like him more on DraftKings than I do elsewhere because of the full PPR uh, adjustment in their scoring system. Uh, Rex Burkhead. If Jeremy Hill gets ruled out, Rex Burkhead's only three thousand five hundred. He could be an RB two mm-hmm. or cheap flex option too. Uh, so keep that in mind, depending on what actually happens with Jeremy Hill. And Zach Zenner, who I mentioned earlier, is only 3,200. You Talk about throwaway punt plays at running back. Mm-hmm. He's at least a consideration, despite the fact the Packers have been good uh, defensively against the run. Uh, I wish if we wish we knew more about Rob Kelly. He's probably going to go after leaving with a knee injury last week. But Mac Brown is only 3,000. So if Rob Kelly were to <laughs> get ruled out, I think Mac Brown at 3,000 would suddenly be in play.
2: And Chris Thompson is only 3,700, too. So,
1: yeah, and he's got pretty, pretty a pretty decent floor, too. So it's like, as tournament plays go, he can go off if he hauls in a, a screen and takes it to the house. I mean, then he, he pays off in a big way. And even if he just catches three or four passes, runs the ball four or five times, at least he's not going to give you a zero. More often than not, he'll get you something. So keep that in mind uh, with the likes Chris Thompson let's talk uh, wide receivers Uh, nothing really interesting about Beckham given the limitations at 9,000 of course Antonio Brown 8,700 is off the board for me as well Uh, Julio Jones 8,400 is in play I just worry that even if he's out there for 40 snaps or 45 maybe even 50 he might still be well below 100 percent and it might be very hard for him to make value as the third most expensive receiver on the board and really the most expensive receiver when you account for the two guys ahead of him not playing complete games or not playing at all.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I said before, I think the running backs will typically have the more, uh, you know, consistent uh, output every week when it comes to this offense. And, you know, Jones, I mean, obviously we've seen him get his targets and all this stuff, but I think you're right about the Atlanta has enough to work with without him to not have to force him to run too many routes or stuff like that or play even the entire game. So, yeah, I think Jones at, at that, at that 8,400
1: to a pass for me. Looking at the other options near the top, Jordy Nelson at 8100 I think Even if Slay's out there, he's in consideration if I can afford it. Uh, Mike Evans at 8000 would be the alternative in the same price tier. You get a small break before you get to T.Y. Hilton at 7600 and another break before you get to Doug Baldwin at 7200 I don't really want to have Seattle pass catchers, even if I use Russell Wilson as a GPP quarterback because he might spread the ball around a lot. Um, and you don't really have... You don't have the skinny tree every single week where it's only Baldwin and only Graham. You see guys like Jermaine Curse prior to getting hurt, of course, Tyler Lockett in recent weeks was looking pretty good. They move the ball around just enough where I don't want to go overboard pairing up any more than one pass catcher with Wilson. Even that, I think Baldwin has the floor because of the full point PPR aspect, but 7200 hundred's is not really a bargain price.
2: Yeah, it's borderline for me of being a thing where I want to chase because that, that's kind of like you said, you you you, you divvy off uh, the you know the the targets uh, at that point. I think his his floor is a little bit less uh, than what that price would even say. So yeah, I think the the Seahawks this week, like you said, the the game flow could change midway, and if Bell hasn't done anything by halftime, you're probably going to be screwed. So I absolutely agree with you.
1: Brandon Cooks 6900. Is he a player or is he a fade for you in that shootout against the Falcons? <sighs> uh,
2: it's obviously so hard to pick the New Orleans guy every week. I I went with Sneed last week and I got that wrong. Um, but, you know, Cooks, uh, more still the most consistent guy that's involved. I think he's the guy for me. So, you know, Atlanta without Desmond Trufant has trouble, has trouble guarding, you know, number one wide receivers. They've been kind of lucky to face some really weak offenses in recent weeks. I think Cooks is a guy that's going to kind of jolt them with a wake-up call. So, yeah, I think Cooks at 69 is much better than Ballwood at 7,200 at least with relatively relativity.
1: I think Cooks compared to Michael Thomas, I'd rather go Thomas for 200 less if you're going to go with one <laughs> of those Saints pass catchers. I see more of a case for stacking two of them if you're going to invest in that group than I do with a lot of other combos at wide receiver at the current time. Uh, Golden Tate, 6,600 against the Packers. I know Marvin Jones is the guy that went off in their first meeting way back in September, but do you play or fade Golden Tate with a dinged-up Matthew Stafford at that price?
2: I think a good play. I mean, it looks like he's the most likely to match up with Demarius Randall. And obviously, Randall's been probably the weak link of this uh, Packers secondary. So, um, you know, Tate's the guy that can do the in between of everything. Jones, the deep guy, more so in this offense. Bolden, the, the you know, the um, across the middle type. And, you know, Golden Tate's had some pretty good games against the Packers overall. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I would go with Tate there. I think I'd play him.
1: Staying away from the Denver receivers, as I mentioned earlier, I don't really want anything to do with DeAndre Hopkins at 6,500. Maybe Edelman at 6,400 finds his way uh, into at least a lineup of mine. But goodness, Devontae Adams is only 5,700. I know the the DraftKings pricing gods probably don't listen to this podcast, but I don't understand (laughs) why Devontae Adams is 5,700. He should at least be in the high 6,000s, but probably, I mean, you look at him versus. Brandon Cooks or Doug Baldwin right now isn't Adams likely right around those two guys in terms of how he's been producing?
2: Uh, I mean, obviously the drops are. I think going to have a negative perception of anybody with that. Obviously, Rodgers still goes back to him, still trusts him. I mean, Adams' target volume hasn't topped. What was it seven targets in the last? It looks like here six weeks. Obviously, a lot of those points have come from touchdowns and big plays. If Darius Slay plays this game, I actually kind of like Adams better. I think because Slay would be, you know, um, you know. I guess covering Nelson a bit better and that opens up a little bit more for Adams, probably one on one most of the time. So if Adams is the top guy and Slate you know sorry, if Slade doesn't play, I think Nelson will have a little bit easier time to go off and obviously that's Rogers' first read usually. So yeah, a lot depends on that, but obviously the relative price for Adams is really intriguing either way.
1: Yeah, it's just really cheap at fifty seven hundred. Ownership rate, I would assume, will be high. How about Fitz at six thousand going up against the Rams? See some of that on your radar this week?
2: Well, it might be his retirement game as well. We didn't talk as much about him as we did uh, with Steve Smith, but uh, yeah, I mean the Rams defense obviously one that we we think can get to Carson Palmer a little bit, especially with that that offensive line's pretty crappy and the pass rush is still pretty good. Uh, but you know Fitzgerald matching up against those slot corners <laughs> in the Rams feels like a really good spot to me uh, to use him at six thousand. I think I'd probably rather have him over an Adams actually, to be honest with you, most of the case because. You know, it's, I think it's a Fitz week to kind of say farewell. And, you know, a palm on the road is not usually a good play for the quarterbacks there. But Fitzgerald moving around against this, this secondary that really has trouble just in any type of coverage is a pretty good bet to me.
1: If you were totally healthy, I would like Tyrell Williams quite a bit. I know he put up a good number last week against the Browns, but it was four for 64 and a score on nine targets. Uh, right. 5,700 against the Chiefs. Not crazy about him this week. Deshaun Jackson's interesting at 5,600. Are you playing or fading Adam Thielen? against the Bears at 5,600, coming off a a week where for the handful of people that took the chance on him, he paid off in a huge way with 12 catches, 202 yards, and two scores against the Packers.
2: It's funny because that price is not buying high either. Um, You know, you you think if if there was a little bit more uh, religion, you know, more faith built into that from last week, if it was like a 6,000-something, I definitely wouldn't. Um, I think if Stefan Diggs plays, that helps Thielen, you know, in, in, in the theory of actually, you know, guys that actually help being in the lineup and spreading the defense a bit. I think if, if Diggs doesn't play, I actually don't like Thielen as much because there'll be more defensive attention on him. Uh, and, you know, the cover corners besides Tracy Porter for Chicago are pretty good. So, yeah, I, I, I think it depends, like I said, on if Diggs plays. If Diggs plays, I actually like Thielen. If he doesn't, then I'm not buying because I think it's going to be a, a, let, a letdown week coming off that huge game. It's just, you know, too much to live up to uh you know back on, on that production again
3: looking
1: at uh some cheaper options steve smith and what is likely his last game at 4900 you have to have a share right i mean yep. like you have to take the <laughs> chance he's gonna show up for this game he's gonna i think he's gonna score we're, we're gonna get the the long steve smith td or something that at least translates to good value from the 4900 hundred dollar price point
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely and, you know as you said you know we're playing DFS on emotion. You're not supposed to do that, but obviously Steve Smith, one of those guys that that lives on moments like that. So yeah, at 4900, that that's just asking to be played.
1: Do you want to pick on the Steelers defense though at all? Terrell Pryor's is only 4200. I know I mentioned RG3 being cheap, and maybe he's just kind of a restrictor plate for the passing game as a whole. But at 4200, for me, that that's a low enough price on Terrell Pryor where he's at least a consideration for GPPs.
0: Yeah,
2: I'll say that. Um I think, I think Corey Coleman's kind of lost with RG3 quarterback. They really haven't had that connection right away, which is kind of understandable, obviously, their first years with the team and they didn't get much time together um, for the most part. I think Pryor's the one you would go with if you're going with anybody in that uh, defense. I mean, the Steelers quarterbacks haven't been terrible this year, so that's, that's a case where maybe Pryor is the one they really focused on on stopping, but I think we'll get enough touches in some form anyway anyway that he would be the only one I would really consider among the passing game there.
1: Got anybody else that's cheap this week at receiver on the radar? Chris Hogan, anybody else like that?
2: Uh, J.J. Nelson, another good one, you know, finally with the with the standard, uh, stabilized workload is always a good call there at 4,600. Uh, you know, as I said before, I will say Wolf Fuller's. I think a little bit intriguing for me for Houston to break off that one big play against the Titans who have been a bit vulnerable against that. I mean, it would be nice if Tom Savage could get down the field a bit more there. So, you know, uh, I mean... Digging down a little bit further, do you want to do the Tavon Austin game with the Rams against that 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 thinned out Arizona secondary that doesn't have really really good slot cover corner? That's a Tavon Austin match that could really pay off well there. Also uh, for the daring at four to he did not score that touchdown last week when we considered playing him and didn't play him. I would I didn't play him anywhere. I, I didn't play you. him either.
1: I, he's he's always at least on the fringe for GPP mm-hmm. consideration because the price stays low. I just I don't find myself actually following through on it. Even though it, mm-hmm. it I, I see the case. I just I don't like it that yeah. much. Or
2: maybe Michael Floyd at thirty five hundred gets more of a of a workload bump this week. I it's really risky, obviously, but you know, this might be the week Bill Belichick just unleashes a new weapon with the number one seed on the line.
1: Could be. I, I feel like Chris Hogan he's had a couple bad games after a good one against Baltimore a few weeks mm-hmm. back. Thirty nine hundred on Hogan makes a lot of sense if Malcolm Mitchell is held out of this game.
2: Yeah, 3,900. That is pretty good.
1: I'll, I'll go with that. Tight end for this week. we got Greg Olson at the top at 5,500. No problem if you can afford it playing him. But I think Kelsey at 5,000, Ertz at 4,800, even Graham at 4,500. If you're going Graham instead of Baldwin, I wouldn't fault you based on those prices. Uh, you go through a bunch of injured guys after that, and then you go down to Delaney Walker at 4,000, but it's Matt Castle instead of Marcus Mariota. It's a low enough price where I'm not staying away from Walker necessarily, but I'm also a little hesitant to invest in Matt Castle's arm, even with a big target like Walker,
2: yeah, I mean, you know, the, the theory that the, the the backup quarterback or the bad quarterback or the rookie quarterback checks down a lot doesn't always check out in situations like that. You know, do you go back to Antonio Gates as being you know fed that other touchdown to tie uh, Tony Gonzalez's record or, or pass him at uh, thirty eight hundred? That's still that's a pretty good price point to go with that.
1: Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> interesting too for for those reasons as Rivers tries to pad up those stats. Uh, four Gates, you go lower on the list, uh, Dennis Pitta at 3,400 against a team that's been bad against the tight ends and the Bengals. That's actually kind of an interesting GVP play. I think Kobe Fleener at 3,100 is low enough where I would think about him against Atlanta because the Falcons can really uh, leak a lot of yardage and points. And Jared Cook at 3,100. I I think the problem with Jared Cook is that if you're going to use any of the other Packers pass catchers, you're then stuck deciding between Nelson and Adams. probably makes more sense to go Adams if you can only play one based on the cost and how it opens up more uh, flexibility in your lineup but even Jared Cook at thirty one hundred is pretty interesting
2: yeah, I get it I mean the upside's there um but like you said it's it's kind of a case where I think we've mentioned some guys that I like a lot more even even though they'll cost a little bit more um you know Cook's that throwaway lineup guy that we keep talking about um i you know I think ebron is actually a little bit better at 3,600 in my opinion there. And Vernon Davis at 3,300, if Jordan Reed even plays, I think it might even be better than that because you know having that decoy there to take a little bit more attention off him. So yeah, I I get why it lines up for Cook, but I think there's a lot better situations to chase.
1: Carolina's also been pretty bad against tight ends, so Brandon Myers starting in place (laughs) of Cameron Brake could be the primary pass catching tight end this week. 2,700 if you're looking for that really cheap punt tight end, I think Brandon Myers has to at least be a passing consideration, but I think there's enough flexibility uh, with the prices this week, with some of the backups rising into more prominent roles where you probably don't have to do that. Just something to think about if you really want to get something different and maybe the rest of your lineup is pricey and chalky. Uh, As far as defenses go, Tim, which offense are you picking on the most this week? Are you going Seattle, uh, picking on Colin Kaepernick, even though it's a home game? Are you looking at the Vikings home against uh, the Bears with with possible bounce back after the embarrassing showing last week. Uh, which defense are you the most interested in?
2: Yeah, I, I think Seattle against Kaepernick, even though they're on the road, I think is the one that most gets to me. There, um, Denver against Matt McGloyne is very intriguing, though uh, at home especially. Uh, I know they might be on the field a little bit more because if Paxton Lynch plays, they you know they might not have much of a sustained offense. But just those, those quarterbacks and Von Miller going up against Matt McGloin does make me a little bit you know happy. Obviously, they're priced that way, so if you Build the lineup around that you can you can work with it. I kind of like the Eagles at twenty nine hundred if you want to take that chance against the Cowboys at home. Um, you know it's very interesting if if Elliott only plays the first half and they hang on a little bit. I think the Eagles could be a really sneaky play there.
1: Yeah, they they definitely could be. Uh, the other team I'm thinking about is Arizona. Another banged up on that side of the ball, but three thousand against the Rams. Rams could turn the ball over. They could allow a bunch of sacks. I think there's some GPP appeal uh, with Arizona this week as well, given the setup that the Cardinals have. So a lot of different ways you can attack it as you look at Week 17 from a DFS perspective. And fortunately, DFS doesn't go away after this week. You've got Wild Card Weekend coming up next week. Uh, you can play for, I think, two more weeks after that. I tend to back off after Wild Card Weekend because the, the pool gets too small. Yeah. I, I like I like having well, it's the same number of games, I guess, the next two weeks, you get four games uh, in total. So I'll, I might play two in the next two, but once you get down to the championship week, I'm not. I'm not playing two game slates.
2: <laughs> I don't know, man. Picking those random fullbacks could be fun sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's <laughs> not. That's not. Uh, that's not my thing. Uh, as we get ready to sign off here, Tim, what's uh, what's on tap for you this weekend? What do you What do you got in the fridge? You get any? Did you get like beer gifts for Christmas or anything?
2: I actually did. Um, my cousin, uh, they, her and her husband, got me a Chimay Grand Reserve Blue. Nice. So that's always a solid option, you know, it's obviously more mainstream than it used to be the Chimay, which you know, one of the Belgian beers that you first kind of cut your teeth on after college or whatever, but Chimay Grand Reserve Blue, it's always the one's you kind of go back to that's readily available. So I'm a fan of that. Actually probably going to be doing a lot more wine this weekend. Um you know, a lot of coupling New Year's Eve things on the front here uh in Williamsburg and you know, Greenpoint areas of Brooklyn always kind of trendy there. I'll try to sneak some more uh beer chasing in cuz we'll probably be right by Brooklyn Brewery for for one of them, so You know that's gonna be packed because it's always you know kind of a a a hot spot anyway. New Year's Eve probably if they're still open will be nice, but yeah, it's gonna be a little bit interesting mix of the the beer and the wine. You know, got to be careful sometimes like that. What about you?
1: Yeah, well, coming off (laughs) coming off a week on vacation where I was swindled into playing a drinking game and uh, found my way into a ham special light, which Waylon would be proud of. It actually wasn't as bad as I expected. My expectations were very low and it was you know the watery drinkable beer that would get most people through college so uh, i would i would choose it over say a bud light or a miller light so keep that in mind if you uh if you want to go to the the high volume section of the store uh, i had some founders breakfast stout while i was in michigan that's always kind nice. of a staple of getting over there uh, i think back on christmas day i popped open a bottle of rogue's seven hop ipa i like that quite a bit of course very hoppy with seven different hops in that particular mm. brew. Uh, but the, the beer I had, I think I talked about it last Friday, that I really liked is uh, the Juicy IPA from a new startup here called Untitled Art. And it was I thought it was awesome. Mm. Some people reviewed it, and they didn't like it because I think it was kind of expensive for a four-pack. I think the thing about a new beer, if it's something that's totally new and the production isn't at a high volume yet, you got to pay a lot just to try something relatively new. And the the reviews were mostly good. They were either great or bad. I loved it. I thought it was excellent. So if you see that pop up, I'd give it a shot.
2: I mean, you know, people, like you said, they do review based on, on return on investment, like we kind of do with fantasy. If you spend a lot on a beer like that and it's kind of meh just because the it's a limited batch, then you're like, you know, whatever, a little bit more discerning and, you know, more critical because you thought you might waste your money. I will throw in a beer that I did try on Christmas Eve, actually uh, the Brewery Smoking Wood, uh, smoked imperial rye uh port porter aged in rye whiskey barrels it's something you might like the the brewery out in uh, orange california very good if you guys are living there are going to go kind of in that area of southern california amazing bottle uh store amazing tasting room uh you know it's it's good beers that you always want to try i think we always bring some to there's always at least one at the arizona folly get together that we have every year so that that i haven't been to this year but you've always been to so uh california hookups you know get 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 the, what you can out of that I think.
1: Yeah, always <laughs> always go with the California stuff. If it's barrel aged or a fresh IPA, uh, you can't really go wrong. Uh, I've got the um uh, Plead the Fifth Imperial Stout from a place called Dark Horse Brewing Company yes. in, in Michigan, like that mm-hmm. that was a bottle I came across uh while I was traveling so I'll probably drink that over the course of this weekend and I've got the uh, the Anniversary Deschutes uh, Black Butte Got a bottle of that as well. So that'll probably Love. be a celebratory bottle for this weekend. So a lot of good stuff on tap. Uh, thanks again for listening to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. This is the last regular episode of the season at all we may have the occasional playoff episode that pops up no guarantees yet kind of an erratic schedule uh here on out so tim thanks for jumping on board this year doing a great job on fridays and thanks to all the listeners out there uh, who've been sticking with us all season if you like this podcast take a few minutes and just leave us a nice rating and review Uh, we would greatly appreciate that it goes a long way towards supporting the pod and uh, kind of steering other people towards it Hopefully people that are not in your league for the sake of the competitive advantage, too. So if you don't want to tell people in your league about it, you could leave us a review. Uh, If you like the pod, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, Thanks again for a great season. Be careful out there this weekend, and hopefully uh, you'll hear from us again soon at some point during the playoffs. Good luck if you play a playoff pool or if you've got any DFS lineups and championships on the line in Week 17.